Happy New Year, everybody. You guys all rested up, ready? Any New Year's resolutions, anybody? Anybody? Gym rats? Any gym rats? No? That's why they make us come to Sunday nights, guys. They put the hot chocolate out for us. I don't really have any either. I, I don't have any New Year's resolutions. Not to say I'm not ambitious about it, but, you know, we'll take it one moment at a time, one moment at a time. We are in the letter to the Thessalonians. So please get there. We, we, I feel, I've missed you guys. Gosh, I wasn't, I mean, guess we were partying a little bit on New Year's, but not in like BC days partying. Like just a lot of good food. We celebrated the nine o'clock ball drop on the East Coast. That's what you do. <laughs> it's a little different in your 40s with Jesus than it was in your 20s with BC. So we celebrated the, uh, the nine o'clock ball drop this year. Well, it's good to be back here with you guys. We've been covering the letter to the Thessalonians. One of encouragement, one that just informs us of all these great biblical truths that Paul has for us. I can't wait to get in it and, and through it because there's a lot of great meat here for us to chew on. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So start uh, flipping in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll just take the first few verses tonight, starting at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that your coming to you, that our coming to you, was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, as God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men either, from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believe. Just, excuse me. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as fathers as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to understand these scriptures. Holy Spirit, it's your job to build up the church and testify to the truth, Lord. So Lord, we wish to get a better look at Jesus. We wish, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, Lord, as we soak in all these passages about how sincere you are, how loving you are, how dedicated you are, how committed you are to us, Lord. So grow us closer to you. In Jesus' name, we all agreed by saying...
Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Paul, Paul seems to be trying to declare who he is. What he was there for, his motives. And I get that. He's kind of new. You ever felt like you were the new guy in the class or at work? When I was not much younger than these guys, I, when I was in middle school, I went to a new school. Seventh grade, new school. Eighth grade, new school. Ninth grade, new school. Tenth grade, new schools each time. I know, bummer, huh? But really, really, I just feel like, oh, they just couldn't keep me. No, no, I wasn't kicked out of any of them. It's just how it worked out. It's how the cards shook out. I had to meet new people, meet new adults. I had to be vulnerable because, you know, everybody's looking for a friend or just someone, you know. You go from a little private school to a giant school of hundreds and hundreds of kids. Like, you're, you're just trying to evaluate and establish new connections. I was trying to develop trust. See who was and who was not being authentic or sincere to me. I had to share myself. I had to learn to listen and sympathize with other people. There's a lot to being the new kid or even the new guy at a new job or a new gal at a new job. Anybody start a new job where you're just kind of figuring out, uh, who can I trust? Who can I, who can I rely on? Who's, who do I got to watch out for? Everybody's trying to evaluate see what interactions are really authentic and what we, we're just trying to make sense of it all. Motives matter. Just as much in our lives as they did a couple thousand years ago while Paul was, while was writing. He went through the same thing, being the new guy. In seminary, some seminary, they teach us of the Pauline cycle. Here's the cycle. Paul's super pumped, gets to a new place, a new city, starts preaching the word. Next part of the cycle, gets his butt kicked a little bit, gets ran out of town. Then he goes to the next one. And he starts preaching the word. He starts, man, getting all like into it. Converts are happening. People get jealous. They get upset. They start rioting, start throwing rocks at him. Almost killed him in one place. The Pauline cycle. He was the new guy. As he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians, he's trying to show off his motives, that they were pure. He was trying to show off that his motives were pure. He's writing these letters, much like the things we're reading about. We are always, always questioning the motives that we're reading in the newspaper, of our politicians, of business leaders. Why are they doing this? Why are they donating that? What's the real scoop on this whole thing? We're always questioning motives. Paul says all these things tonight about his boldness of ministry, his sincerity of ministry, his affection for this ministry and his ability and goal to be a mentor, to be a mentor in this ministry to people. All so he could charge people, challenge people, direct people to what we saw and how, how it all kind of culminates in verse 12. What he's telling us to do by exposing all this and laying out uh, why he does what he does is he's telling everyone, live to serve God. Seek his approval. Let your whole life be a testament to what God considers truly worthy. 
Everybody write that down for the resolution? You guys? Okay, good. If not, it'll be on the, the tapes, if we had tapes. Watch the archive. Live to serve God. Seek his approval. Let your life be a testament. That was for effect. You guys are all awake, right? All right, good. We are now to what God considers truly worthy. Okay, so let's look at our verses. So if you're new to the Sunday nights here, if you're new to Packing House, welcome, by the way. Welcome. You'll see exactly why we're here on Sunday nights in a little bit. You'll get the sense. We go verse by verse, book by book. We're going to go through each verse tonight. Verses 1 and 2 talk about Paul's boldness of ministry. You heard and saw glimpses of his suffering, his mistreatment. Him and his companions still demonstrated a boldness in sharing the gospel. And he's sharing this because he hopes to inspire people that are facing difficulties and opposition that we would persevere through in our faith, that we would rely on what we know about God. So verse 1, he tells them, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. You yourselves, you you Thessalonians, living it up in the coastal city of Thessalonica. That's modern-day Thessalonica. How cool is that? Boom, other coastal cities. It was a booming, booming city. He says, he says, brothers, which are the brothers and the sisters of the church, our visit to you was not in vain. It wasn't a failure. Why? Because look, there's a church now. It wasn't a failure. There was, there's a church now. He's not bragging. He's just saying like, hey guys, you're proof, you're proof that what we did was not worthless. It was worth the effort to go through all that suffering that we went through. You guys are the proof, and you know that, he says. You're aware. Verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. We were treated super badly in Philippi. Again, Paul would get beat up. He'd get stoned. He'd get put in trial. He'd get drug out of cities. Man, this guy, he was encouraging or writing letters from prison at times. God gave him the courage to share in the face of opposition. He has this phrase, much conflict. It's a first century athletic term. Paul often drew from sports. He's a sports guy. He was a sports guy. And you know if he was here a couple thousand years later, he probably wouldn't be a Dodger fan. You know, and I told myself that I wasn't going to rag on you guys tonight because I know I do it every week or so, but I'm sorry. I love you guys too much to let it go. He'd be a Red Sox fan because he knows what it's like to suffer. <laughs> All my, my, hopefully my in-laws are watching. So Paul often pictures the Christian life as an athletic contest. You know, he's saying that, wow, we went through much conflict. We, it, it demanded a contest and perseverance. It demanded us to, like, pursue and persevere. We went through much conflict, but, man, we were bold to speak in our God, to speak to you the gospel. What's he doing here? He's writing an encouragement on how they should conduct themselves in the face of persecution. He's been there. 
He's done that. He's saying, guys, press on. Press on. And for us, just because we flipped the calendar, just because we saw the 31st go to 1 on our iPhones and whatnot, doesn't, like, it doesn't, isn't it weird? I, I, that's, that's why I really don't have resolutions, because I think, really, just because we have a new date? Let's, I'm not trying to sound like a, like a downer. I'm just saying, you know what? Stuff happens. You know, sometimes it feels like we're either going into a storm, we're coming out of a storm, we're in the storm. But you know what? We're not alone. We have the Lord, so we can be bold in our witness about him. We can rely on him. We, he doesn't want us to quit. He doesn't want the Thessalonians to quit. He doesn't want our, his readers to quit serving the Lord. Have a boldness. Have a boldness. I was thinking about believers who have had like just a tremendous amount of boldness. Um, you guys ever seen that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? It's about this guy. Can I have my Desmond Doss photo? This is Desmond Doss, believer. He's a combat war medic in World War II. That's uh, President Truman giving a medal of honor to a conscientious objector. See, when he was in the Battle of Okinawa, his whole team were, was being brutally gunned down in the battle. He was a prayer warrior. He would, he would let, in the movie, it talks about how he would pray, Lord, help me save another, help me save another. And what he would do is he would, he would go find guys, his U.S. soldiers that were lying dead on the battlefield or shot and needed help, and he would, he would drag, drag them out, and he would lower him by himself down this mountain, saving, what was it, like 70-something soldiers? The only reason why he allowed Mel Gibson, I believe, to make the movie is it was the most accurate portrayal of his story. He wanted it to be true. This guy is a testimony to the boldness of uh, what a Christian can have if they're relying on the strength of the Lord. Wow. As we move on to verses 3 through 6, we're going to see that Paul is now emphasizing his sincerity of ministry. That what he said to them, what he did, can we go to verse 3? What he did was never, was never about, oh, let me just flatter you guys and tickle your ears and greed or seeking any type of personal glory. Instead, their aim was to please God who's testing their hearts. Sincerity of ministry. Think about what that translates to now for us. We live in an age were misinformation and scandals? Come on. We can all sign on right now to YouTube and watch the latest scandal <laughs> and the latest information. We have so much floating. We crave, we're craving authenticity. We crave it. We have these things in our pockets that just amplify the misinformation and the trust, you know? We're just craving it. Well, not much has changed, it seems like, in 2,000 years, because Paul's writing a letter showing off his sincerity to people that he's already visited and been to. Let's see how he handles this timeless problem. He says here in verse 3, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. 
I don't know if he was accused of having issues or, or terrible motives or something. I mean, Paul, as history records, we don't see him going around selling the latest snake oil or Marvel mystery oil. You know, he's saying, though, we're not preaching with any false motives. No evil purposes in mind. We're perfectly straightforward and sincere, he said. You know what? Our message, we didn't just think it up. Our message came from God himself. It came from the Lord. Verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Hmm. This word, gospel, if you're not familiar with it, it just means good news. It means good news. Rick, you've been talking about bad news, misinformation, and scandals. What good news is there? Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We don't have to work for it either, because it's by grace we've been saved through faith. What does that mean? Grace. Anybody get Christmas presents this year? Yeah, do you have to work for them? Some of my kids are like, it kind of feels like it sometimes. You do not have to work for, you did not have to work for those gifts. I mean, I had to drop some hints from time to time, but you did not have to work for them. You just had to receive them, right? You just had to receive them. That's what grace is. It's a free gift that we don't deserve, but we get it. We have a choice to receive it. That's grace. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith. Faith, confidence. That's a confidence. It's a hopeful expectation. That we're saved, made whole, restored, restored. That's the good news. So you see that word gospel, you got good news. Jesus died for you, for me. And he rose again three days later, declaring victory over sin and death. That's cool. That gospel, that message, Paul saw himself as a steward. That's like a Christianese Bible term, a steward. It means manager means a manager. He saw himself as a manager of this message, entrusted by God. A manager is something that uses and possesses everything that's really his bosses. So it's like God's the boss, right? And then Paul's the manager, the steward, and he's been entrusted for this. And he says, as we've been sharing this, we're not speaking as men-pleasers. We're not just trying to tickle the ears. He's not trying to flatter anybody. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get God's approval. And that's what we should be doing. Stop worrying about public opinion. Stop even worrying, not just who cares about public opinion, stop worrying about the social circle all the time. And that's harder for some. Like I was saying earlier, I started a new school like four years in a row. I was a little worried about public opinion because I didn't want to get beat up. Was, uh, and you grow up and you just don't want to get made fun of or look differently. You just kind of want to like shrink back into your own hole sometimes. You can't be worried about public opinion. Public opinion will keep baby in the corner kind of thing. You know what I mean? Sorry, you guys know what that means? You don't want to, you know, it'll keep them and it'll keep you backed into the corner. If you're worrying about what people think about. Listen, you won't make everybody happy. Did you know that? God doesn't even make everybody happy. Years ago, I, I made that statement, and one of my kids said, of course you can't make everybody happy, Dad, because you're not pizza. And I thought, how absurd. What? 
And then I'm at uh, this local pizza restaurant in Yucaipa that we always go to, and I'm waiting for my pizza. And I see a sign, only pizza makes everybody happy. I'm like, oh my gosh, we eat too much pizza. He says, verse 5, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, as God is witness. How do you know he didn't use flattering words? Because he got his butt kicked everywhere he went. If he was at least using flattering words, they probably would have accepted him. He would have been a men pleaser. Wow, this is great. Let's give him a late show, they would have thought. This is great. Let's have him here hour by hour. Instead, some people started to believe. The Holy Spirit would work in people's lives as they would choose to receive him. Other people would be like, you know what? Let's get this guy. Who is he to come here and cast demons out of, of the people who work for us? We're losing money on this guy. Let's get him out of here. And they'd run him out of town. He wasn't trying to flatter people or get their money. He's not, that wasn't, he was sincere in what he was sharing, the truth of the gospel. He wasn't trying to shake people down for cash. He just wanted to see them set free by the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. I hate when I'm like, you know, I, we watch these like cult shows and I, I, you know, at first you're thinking, how silly, oh my goodness, these guys are so silly, this is almost humorous. And then you start watching and you're seeing all the lives terrorized by these people as, pe as the preachers are driving off in their Rolls Royces or getting in their, their personal jets. And you start to, I get a little upset. I can't watch them after a while. I can't watch them after a while. In fact, I learned, if you, do you guys know who Gail Irwin is? He's the little guy, little old guy with the red suspenders that comes in here every once in a while. You know what he says that I learned? Don't tell me how much money you make because I'll treat you differently and then hate myself afterwards. I am like, that's a pretty good statement, Mr. Irwin. I'm going to say that. God has been Paul's witness the whole time and trusting him with the gospel. He's been his witness, like his audience too. Paul's only been looking at the Lord, trying to please him by sharing this truth. Who is your audience? Is it your family? Is it your close friends? Are you trying to please them? As noble as that is, that can't be your source of identity and hope. Instead of always trying to please, maybe ask the Lord, Lord, how do I inspire my kids, my family, my coworkers? How do I inspire them to... Or, Lord, why don't you just do the work, Lord? And if you have an opportunity for me to share the truth, then by all means, Lord, give me the boldness in this and help me to be sincere to them. I was praying tonight while we were worshiping. I was given, like, my own worship concert. Sorry for you guys in front of me. I was thinking, Lord, I pray that your word has favor, that it's seen as... Like, people are encouraged to be bold tonight. That people would have favor for your word tonight. That they would see, Lord, that your love has been so sincere to us tonight. Because, guys, he's, he's our audience. As God is my witness, I pray and pray that you would enjoy and receive that boldness. That this is him coming after you this whole time. Okay, verse 6. He says, Nor did we seek glory for men... 
either from you or others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Oh, what does he mean there? Well, he's an apostle, which means he's a sent out one, a commissioned one by God himself, he says in other letters. He's a a leader in the church. He says, I wasn't looking for cash, I wasn't looking for praise, although as an apostle of Christ, I certainly had the right to some honor from some of you. Whoa, Rick, what did you mean? Well, 1 Timothy, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, one of his apprentices, he writes this in 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule be well, well be, excuse me, let the elders who rule well, okay, elders who rule well, talking about church leaders, they rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Paul was saying, I didn't, I didn't demand anything from you guys, though the Holy Spirit is saying, like, hey, you know, they should be shown honor. He wasn't demanding it. I think he was presenting this thought in a spirit of meekness. Meekness. Meekness um, means not weakness. It means strength under control. I think he was being gentle. I think he was sharing some gentleness in this statement with them, showing off his gentleness with the Thessalonians when he was in their presence. I think he's kind of setting us up for verse 7. Now we're moving into the kind of the last half of our passage, to, our passage tonight. We're going to start talking about Paul's selflessness and his affection in ministry. We talked about that through his suffering, he was bold. God gave him a boldness to share. And now we just finished up that point of his sincerity in ministry. And so let's move on into his selflessness, into his affectionate. By no means is Paul declaring himself a hero, okay? When you read the Bible and you read about like Samson and David and Goliath, those guys were just ordinary like losers that had God too, okay? They were just regular guys. Okay, they were regular people. The hero of all those stories is God, okay, is God. He's really showing everything God worked in and through him, okay? This boldness and this sincerity. Okay, verse 7. Here's, how I, here's what I meant when he was sharing the, the setting up the gentleness. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. As further proof of Paul's motive, he reminds the Thessalonians of his relationship and attitude with him. He was gentle. That's the English word for the Greek word epios, which means mild, kind. He was mild and kind. That's how God is with us. When he rescues us, God is gentle and kind. In Psalm 147, verse 3, Psalm 147, verse 3, we read, He, meaning God, heals the brokenhearted, and he bandages their wounds. He bandages their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? Are you scared or in grief? Did you lose someone? Were the holidays absolutely just rough? I get it. It happens sometimes. I, did you, they have a weird stir of emotions. Are you brokenhearted? God heals the brokenhearted. He doesn't do it with this... Uh, iron rod and smacks you silly until you act right. No, no, he does it with gentleness and kindness. He bandages the wounds. I know he does this. I've seen the addict 
who's no longer an addict. I've seen the adulterer who's no longer an adulterer. I've seen a person in the most tragic grief and loss, and God has repaired and remedied their pain. The lonely find a family amongst a church and a community. Man, I've seen some just messed up people. And God's just bandaging them up and loving them. That's how God works. It does, I don't care where you are. God loves you too much to leave you there if you don't already have a relationship with him. I didn't always think that way. Once I was sitting across from this murderer who was telling me how he like, did this gruesome crime. And he was telling me how he admitted it. Oh, I, I just told the, the deputies what, what happened. And uh, you know what? Most importantly, I told the Lord. And I'm like, the Lord? I wasn't a Christian then. I go, what's he going to do with it? You're going away for life, pal. But he was convinced that God forgave him and healed him. And now that I've been walking with the Lord, I'm convinced too that God forgave that guy. Because that's what he does. He heals the brokenhearted. And he bandages the wounds. So he tells us as we're growing in this relationship that we're going to find ourselves ministering. And when we're ministering, which means serving, we should be as gentle as a nursing mother who cherishes her own children. Moms, if you guys don't know this, they go through a lot to bring a child to life. And then they're nursing, which is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week obligation job. When I read this, I, I, I have this mental picture of my, in my mind of a nursing mom who's cherishing a child. I remember one time my wife, we, she had just gave birth to our second child, and she, was, and she was nursing her while in grad school, had the laptop on her lap, baby in her arms, typing and going through the essay, nursing the baby. What? Paul is saying our service to, to, and our love for others should be as this dedicated, committed, nursing mom who's cherishing that child. Talk about gentleness. He's saying so affectionately longing for you in verse 8. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, remember that good news, of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. Wow. Affectionately longing for you. That's awesome. If you've been in ministry or you're in some capacity where you're serving, and I don't know if it's serving in some, maybe you're leading a Bible study around here or ushering or in kids' ministry, teaching at our school, or maybe you're not even serving here, but your ministry is at your school or work or off campus. Praise God. Remember, cherishing, a nursing mother cherishing. Well, Rick, you don't know the guy who works across the aisle from me. I'm sorry, but I've worked... Plenty of times, not here, <laughs> of people that frustrate you. Some guys that I work with are sitting in the crowd tonight. I mean it, guys. I mean it. I just, you know, you have those people that you're trying to just like, okay, i got to be a witness. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to Bible thump them, does it? Give them every verse that you've memorized, but if that's your gifting, God bless you. 
But what it can mean is like what we've learned in the past is preach the gospel everywhere you go. If necessary, use words. Cherish those people. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to give you an affection for those people. Ask the Lord in prayer. This is a prayer I've prayed many times. Lord, I pray that I could have favor in these people's lives, but I pray, Lord, that they would have favor in mine because I think they are despicable. <laughs> I've, I've prayed those words. Lord, please give this person a favor so I can have affection now. I can have affection for them as like how you love them, Lord. You guys ever heard that Brandon Heath song saying, give me your eyes, give me your eyes, so we could see people the way God sees them? That's a prayer. Okay, we're going to move into the last part of our, our, our uh, passage tonight, where he talks about one of my favorite topics, mentorship in ministry, mentorship or discipleship in ministry. Paul's talked about having a boldness in, his, in serving or ministry. He's talked about being sincere, authentic, free of deceit, sincere. And he talked about being selfless, giving of himself, right? Having an affection for others. But now we're going to talk about mentorship, okay? Mentorship. He's mentioning that as he was mentoring and teaching that he would work night and day to avoid being a burden, okay? He's exemplifying that, hey, it's okay to work hard, okay? Paul worked hard. He's trying not to be a burden on the people he's ministering to. And he stresses the importance of actually contributing positive, positively to society. He's going to talk, we're going to see a little bit about mentorship. So he says in verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God, whose motive, motive wasn't money, Paul was a tent maker, is what the book of Acts, chapter 18, tells us. He would make tents for people. One of my favorite things to do is when I used to go camping, I would get, we'd get there early, set up my tent, and I couldn't wait to watch the rest of my family try to set up their tents. Paul was a tent maker. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You yourselves know. You saw how we were. So did God. We were pure to you. We were honest. We were faultless toward you. Every one of you guys. Verse 11. As you know how, ex how we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. We see that Paul told us about the relationship a mother has with their child. Now we're going to go into this relationship like a father to a child. Relationships matter in ministry. Relationships matter in ministry. Right? There's only, I'm looking at my young friend Andrew. There's only two things we do, right? We build our relationship with God and we build our relationship with others. Those are the two things. I don't know what else to do in ministry. Work on those two things. We build a relationship with God and we build our relationship with others. Not just any relationship, a caring relationship. Caring relationships were the key to Paul's ministry. Caring relationships will be the key to your ministry. We've got to serve. No one knows how, no one cares how much you know, right? 
until they know how much you care. Caring relationships, they're the key to ministry. They're the key to ministry. He says, as a, as a father exhorts a child, right? Is that what he said? Let me go back to my verse. Yeah. How we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own child. I love that. I love that. I, Pastor Rick, to the Sunday nighters, exhort you and charge you to consider mentoring you mature, awesome believers. Mentor the young believers out there, the young men and women. We absolutely, do you see how I said we? We, young believers, need you guys. We need you guys. You guys have been there and done that and persevered. We need mature believers. Did Rick just call us old? No, I didn't. I said, you're mature, wise believers, and we need you guys so much. Just as much as Ruth needed Naomi. Just as much as Timothy needed Paul. Just as much, I don't know, as David needed Samuel. Just as much as, ready? Mr. Miyagi, Daniel LaRusso needed Mr. Miyagi. We need mentors. Well, gosh, Rick, I don't really have much to give. I've just been kind of been doing my thing. Well, pray. That's what I do. I've prayed over the years. Lord, not that I think I, uh, I'm the end-all, be-all, but I, I go, Lord, I pray that you'd bring a, a young guy for me to disciple. When I'm ready, Lord. And that's the trick. Because I used to just pray, Lord, I want to disciple and lead young guys. And then... I read Martin Lloyd-Jones who had talked about when you're asking for a gift of the Holy Spirit, pray that your heart is prepared to receive that gift. Oh, that changed, that changed the game for me. So Lord, maybe the prayer is, guys, and I charge you to do this, Lord, I, I pray that you would prepare my heart, my mind, and my life to disciple and lead a young man or woman. Young men and women, pray that God would bring a godly man or woman into your life. I am so thankful for the strong, godly, loving men and women who have discipled and ministered to me in ministry. We need to be praying for these things. Why? Here's where it ends. Why should we be praying for these things? Why should we be praying for a boldness in ministry? Why should we be recognizing God's boldness to pursuing us? Why should we be praying for a sincerity in our ministry? Why should we be praying for God? For, for, for us to understand God's revealed authenticity or sincerity in our lives? Why should we be praying for a strength to cherish the other believers like a nursing mother cherishes a child? Why should we be doing all that? You know what? It all comes down to what it says here in verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. so that we would live according to God's principles, God's values, because God is our witness. God is our audience. It's God whose approval we seek. It's God, and we're to walk worthy. We're to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Jesus said this. Jesus himself said this in John 15. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. 
Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow, that was from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. As I said when we opened up tonight's message, live to serve God. Seek his approval. Let your life be a testament to what God considers truly worthy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, for your love and affection. Please, God, help us to see your sincerity, your authenticity, your truth, God. God, you're so bold to chase after us. You sent your son to a cross for us so that we would have life, Lord, because you said for whoever believes would not perish, but would have everlasting life in you, God. That, who, that is by grace we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for the boldness of that act, dying for us and living for us, Lord. Thank you for this awesome revelation of your love, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray for anyone who's not walking with you today, Lord. Guys, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you've never struck a relationship with the Lord, if you've never invited him into your life, if you would like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know where you'd spend eternity, this moment's for you. We say this prayer that I'm going to pray with you. We say it every week here at the Packing House. It's so powerful. And you can say it out loud with us, or you can say it in the intimacy of your own heart. I get it. It's between you and the Lord. But it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. And all of God's kids agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Hey, Packing House, if no one's told you that they love you, gosh, I love you guys, church. But more importantly, God totally and radically loves you guys. God bless you guys. Good night.